welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. We are studying the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, open it up with me to the book of Romans. And uh, we're working our way through this. We've, we're on week number three of this. And um, it's been fantastic so far. And I would like to do something different today. I would like you, once you have found Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles, I would like you to stand up with me. Or on your phone. Or just stand if you don't have anything. Romans chapter 1, and here's what we're going to do. I want you to stand while we read the Word of God. And I know it's not something we normally do, but I've been thinking a lot about this also the last week. And here's what I've been thinking about. We um, stand up for our national anthem, don't we? We stand up and applause people when they do a performance of some kind, whether they're an actor or a musician or a band. What do we do? We stand up and we cheer and we participate. We let them know how great it is. But often, many times, we don't stand up for the Lord. And so as we read the word of the Lord today, as I read the word of the Lord today, we're going to stand up and show him reverence and honor for his word. Amen? You can look in the Old Testament and you can see many times where they stood for the reading of the Lord. And it's not, it's not a religious thing. And you're like, Jake, this is weird. I don't know. Let's do weird stuff sometime. That's cool. But we're standing up because we want to show the Lord that we respect and honor him. Amen? Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read a portion of scripture here, and when I'm done, I'm going to pray and you can sit down. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to get a running start at this, back up into 16. Uh, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone, everybody say everyone, who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, this good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, say as a result. Their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that brings truth and healing and life. Father, I pray right now that all across this place that you are opening our ears and our eyes to receive your truth, to receive your wisdom, to receive your life. Father, I thank you that as we talk about you and your word this morning, that you are bringing understanding and revelation, and that as we leave this place, we leave this place people who are continually changed by your presence. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. All right, let's sit down. 
This is a heavy piece of scripture. Like right off the bat, Paul's getting into it with the Romans. But it's a good piece of scripture because it's a very important progression that we're going to look at together today. And it's going to be something that we need to understand together as a body of Christ. All right, so back up in verse 18. Remember, Paul is writing, this is, this is chapter 1, Paul is writing to people he's never met before. He's never been to Rome, he's never met these people, he's introducing himself, he's laying a foundation about what he wants to talk about, what he thinks is important, and what he wants to share with them. So here we go, he said in verse 16, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the power of God to salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ is your salvation. Jesus going to the cross and dying there on the cross, willingly laying down his life, is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. He says, I'm not ashamed to talk about this. And he said that because he's writing to Romans. And the Romans were people who thought they were so smart. We all know that, don't we? We all know how smart the Romans and the Greeks thought they were with all their philosophy and all their smart thinking and all their smart talk. And so Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed to talk about Jesus to any of these people. No matter how smart they thought they were, I'm happy to talk about Jesus because it's the power of God to salvation. He says, but let me tell you this. God shows his anger and the new King James says his wrath. Who likes to talk about the wrath of God? (laughs) Not many people. But Paul starts off his letter. Hey, guys, just want to talk to you for a few minutes here. I want to talk to you about the wrath of God. Let's talk about God's wrath. Let's get into it. And the wrath of God is this. Wrath is the Greek word ogra. And it's punishment from God referring to divine judgment to be inflicted upon the wicked. So when he says wrath, he's really talking about wrath. He means wrath. In the New Living, it says God shows his anger from heaven against, now what does that word, that next word say in your Bibles? For God shows his anger from heaven against, Jaden, can you put that scripture back up? In verse number 18, who is it? God shows his anger from heaven against, what's that word? All, all, all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. By their wickedness. Another way you can read this verse is like this. Who by their wickedness prevent the truth from being known. And what he's talking about is people who live such a life of sin. Where they, uh, their life is so full of sin. So packed full of sin. And evil works and things they shouldn't be doing. That you can't see the truth of God in it. That you can't see the goodness of God. Because there's so much other stuff going on pushing down. That word suppress, um, right here it says wicked people who suppress the truth. Suppress means to squash down. Like if I, if I got on this and I just jumped up and down on it and squashed it flat and then folded it over and then put it under my foot so you couldn't even see it. He's talking about God pouring out his anger on people who choose to hide the truth because of all the wickedness and evil things in their life. Thank God that's not us, isn't it? Oh, man. Oh, man. Just just the Roman people. So he goes on here. He says in verse 19, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see 
his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. Let's look at Psalms for a minute here. Let's go to Psalms chapter uh, 19, I think it is. Psalms 19, do we have verse 1 in there, Jaden? Or no? There we go. It says this. This is the psalmist David who wrote this, and he says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display its craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Yet it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Let me read to you what um, Tertullian said. Do you guys know who Tertullian is? Oh, well, let me tell you about Tertullian. Tertullian was an early Christian author. And actually, he was the first one who used the phrase the Trinity. He's way back in the 300s, I believe. And he said this in one of his writings. It was not the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of the creator. The vast majority of mankind, though they had never heard the name of Moses, to say, no, the name of Moses, to say nothing of his book, know the God of Moses nonetheless. Nature, he said, is a teacher. The soul is the pupil. One flower of a hedgerow by itself. I think I do not say a flower of the meadows. One shell of any sea you like. I do not say a pearl from the Red Sea. One feather of a moorfowl to say nothing of a peacock. Will they speak to you of a mean creator? If I offer you a rose, will you, you will not scorn its creator. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying what David said in Psalms. He's saying what Paul said in Romans, that even though people may not know God, they may not have had, had a conversation about God, but everywhere they look and everything they see talks to them about God. Tertullian said that nature teaches you can go outside and look around. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. You can look up, and there's all kinds of studies and stats that you can look at. Most people, whether they're Christian or believers or not, believe in some kind of afterlife. That there is more beyond this world here. They don't know why. They can't explain it. They don't know how to explain it. But something inside of them says there is more. Am I alone here? Paul is saying to the Romans... That you can look anywhere and see that God is alive, that God is created. All you got to do is look at creation. And he says this, even though, in verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. Say worship. Or even give him thanks. Say thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result of this, 
as a result of not worshiping and as a result of not giving thanks and as a result of knowing who God was but choosing to not worship and give thanks, as a result of this, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, when he says the word worship here in verse number um, 21, it's the Greek word doxazo. And it means to glorify God, meaning to render glory to him recognize him for who he is and for what he is, and to celebrate with praises, worship, and adoration. See, this is one of the reasons we come and we sing songs of worship in church, to give God his worship and glory. Amen? Listen, you all need to make some more noise. You all need to be up in this house. You need to be excited about the word of the Lord. You need to say amen. You need to be encouraging Jesus on. Let's go. We come to church to worship Jesus, to worship our creator for who he is and for what he's done in your lives. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> Marco says, yeah, keep going, amen. That's what worship means. You give thanks means this. It's the Greek word eucharistio. And it means this, to be thankful, to be grateful, well-pleasing, to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, and to give thanks. And actually, in the Greek Septuagint, one of the texts that we get the New Testament from, they don't have the word eucharistio in it. The word they have is eugia, and it means to speak well of. And so Paul is saying here, these people, they knew God. They knew the truth about God. They knew there's no denying there is God. You can, everywhere you look, you see the sun there. How did that sun get there? You can't tell me the sun got there because there was some weird collision and things collided and suddenly this whole earth and world was formed and animals came out of the water because these two asteroids collided. You can't tell me that don't make no sense. So you go outside and you stare up at the sun and the moon and the stars. You go stare at a puddle and you look at all the microorganisms in there and say how in the, what is happening in here? How is there so, you think about your body and you say how in the world does my body even work? There's so much that takes place inside of my body that I just don't, this organ works this way and works towards this and if it didn't have this piece in here you know what I'm saying everything you look at points to there is a God and he says to the Romans about the Romans even though they knew God they knew the truth about God they knew there was more and they knew there was a true God they chose not to worship him to come into his presence and worship him and say God I give you praise I'm so thankful for who you are in my life he said they didn't worship him they didn't give him thanks Jaden can you put up um, worship again in the Greek here it comes any second now it's coming I'm just going to tell you it means to glorify God to render glory to him recognize him for who and what he is glorify God and recognize him for who and what he is let me ask you this when is the last time in your life that you recognize God for who and what he is in your life when you stopped and you said God I just want to worship you I want to thank you for who you are you're my savior you're my Lord God you're at work in my life when I don't even see it you're doing things I don't even understand and God 
And then he goes on to be and says, they don't thank him. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you chose me, God. I'm so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me, to shed his blood for me, to make a new way so that I don't have to live a junky life that's down in depression and hurt and sorrows. God, I'm so thankful. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. You're so good to me. When is the last time in your life you just stopped and had a praise break and said, God, I'm so thankful. I love you so much. You're such a good king. You're such a good father. You're at work, and I don't know how, but I know you are. <laughs> That's the word of God. <clears throat> Makes me happy. So they knew the truth. They knew the truth, but they chose to suppress it, to squash it, to put it on their feet, to hide it with other sin and other things in their life. And they chose, even though they knew God, they chose not to worship him, and they chose not to give him thanks. And he said, the result of not worshiping God, the result of knowing the truth, but making a conscious choice to not worship him and not to give him thanks was this. It says, as a result... Their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I'm going to give you one more Greek word here, and it's the Greek word moreno. And it means this, to make dull, not acute, and to cause something to lose its taste or the purpose for which it exists. I don't think you got that. So they chose, they chose to not worship God and give him thanks. They knew the truth. They knew the truth about God. There's no denying it. There's no, there's, guys, there's no denying it. Amen? Amen. I mean, there is a God. And there's no denying it. But they chose to reject it. They chose to say, nah, it's okay. Let's pick other gods. Let's pick other things. And they chose instead to not worship God and to give him thanks. And as a result of not worshiping God and giving him thanks, the Bible says that their minds became dark and confused. The New King James says their heart, as in the center, the very essence of who they are, became dark and confused and foolish. It says here in the New Living Translation. And that work in the Greek, moreno, means that it loses the purpose for which it existed the purpose for which it was created because they didn't give glory and thanks to God, the creator. They became useless. Here's the example of that Greek word, salt not being able to make things salty anymore. Useless because they didn't glorify God, they didn't worship God, and they didn't give God thanks. Here's the pattern you see. Here's the progression you see. And this is important. This is important for us to pay attention to. It's important for us to pay attention to this so that we don't fall into this pattern ourselves. The pattern was knowing the truth, but rejecting it, choosing not to worship God, choosing not to give thanks. And in the process, you, you choose not to worship God, you choose not to give thanks, and what happens then is, well, because eternity is in my heart, because I know there's something more beyond me, I have to find something to worship. And so it says here, they began to find other things to worship. 
doesn't it? It says, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals. So because eternity is in their heart, you begin to worship other things. And you become useless to the purpose for which God created you. You, you hearing what I'm saying? So the key is to worship and give thanks. The key to be useful is to worship and give thanks. See, in this passage of Scripture, see, you see this progression. See the progression of sin is what you see in this. You see, I know the truth, I reject the truth. And so because I'm rejecting the truth, I've got to fill this void with something else. And so I come into idolatry. And idolatry at its very core is the uh, worship of self, where you're picking something else. And what you're really saying is, I over God, me over God, my way over God's way. And when you put yourself in the place of God, that's right, oh mercy. And Paul is talking here, and he's saying, that's what these Romans have done. They become useless. Idolatry equals self over God. The essence of sin in your life, the essence of sin is putting yourself in God's place. Isn't that what Lucifer did? And if you really stop and think about most sin in your life, it really comes down to a battle of the wills, doesn't it? God says this, I say this. Who am I going to choose? This is what we talked about two weeks ago when I spoke. And so Paul is talking here, and he says that because of this, because of this progression of sin in their life, he says in verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. God abandoned them. They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That word abandon is a very interesting word. And when you think about the word abandon, most of us probably instantly think of it in context of um, either selfishness, somebody abandons somebody because of a selfish reason, or out of rejection. You hurt me, so I'm taking off and leaving. I'm going to abandon you because you hurt me. Or I just can't handle this. It's too hard on my flesh. I don't want to do it, so I'm going to leave. But the context of this word here, when it was written in the actual Greek the context and, and what he's really saying is when God abandoned, it's the, it's the kind of abandonment um, where one, um, one lover has for another, or, or a husband has for your wife, or a wife has for a husband, when they've done everything they could absolutely do and you can't do any more. You know what I'm talking about? I've done all I could do to make this work, and there's nothing else I can do, but still this person is choosing to go the opposite direction, and so I, will, I have to abandon it. I have to, I have to let them go. This, this talks about free will and God's free will that he's given us because 
Free will has to be there. Otherwise, God is forcing us to love him, isn't he? Enforced love is no love at all. If I make Jen love me, then I'm a dictator. You will love me. <laughs> love me. <laughs> you can't force somebody into it. And God's not going to force any of us into it either. And so it says here that these people, even though they knew the truth, remember, he's talking to the Romans, even though they knew the truth, they rejected the truth, and they began to find other things to worship. And God said, listen, I've shown you over and over and over again. I've even put eternity in your hearts so that you know deep down inside that there's more beyond all this. You can look anywhere you go, and you'll see that there's more beyond all this. But if you continue to choose something other than me, I've got to let you go. That's what it says here. He abandoned him. And, and the reference, is the prodigal son's dad. We talk about the prodigal son all the time, but how do you think that dad felt as he gave his son his inheritance and watched him run off to go waste it all? How do you think that dad felt? Now listen, I'll tell you this. If you don't have kids, it's really hard to understand how that could feel. You kind of get an idea for it, but when you become a parent, it hits you in a whole new way. Because you realize what a father or a mother's love is really like. And when you picture your son or your daughter turning their back on you and running away, it breaks you on the inside. And so when he says that God abandoned them, it's not God saying, well, take a hike then. You chose that squirrely little gold-plated squirrel to worship over me. Well, I'm done with you. I'm taking a hike and you can just have squirrely pants rescue you from your next problem. And that's not what he said. This was free choice. This was free will. It broke God's heart. It says God abandoned them to do whatever sinful things their hearts desired. I want to read to you. This, this is the Greek word epithumia, when it says de desired, whatever they desired. And this word translated desire is the key in this passage. Aristotle, oh, we have it on the screen here. Aristotle defined it as reaching out for pleasure. Okay, we all know who Aristotle is, right? Uh, Stoics, third century, um, Greek-speaking Jewish philosophy, defined it as reaching after pleasure, which defies all reason. So this is what Paul's talking about when he says, when he says God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. This is what he's talking about. Um, Reaching after pleasure, which defies all reason, which doesn't make sense. You're like, what are you doing? Let's go to the next slide, Jaden. Clement of Alexandria called epithemia, the unreasonable reaching for that which will gratify yourself. So this guy says, it doesn't even make sense for you to do this. It's so perverted. It's so wrong. It's so sick. Why are you doing this? It's the passionate desire for forbidden pleasure. And here's the real great thing. It's the way of a life of man that who has become so completely immersed in the world that he has ceased to be aware of God at all. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what he's talking about. And in my last two minutes here, this is what I want to say. How in the world did these people get to this place where they cease to be aware of God at all? We'll back it back up to verse 18. And it starts off with knowing the truth, but rejecting it. 
squashing it down, putting it under your feet, living a life so full of sin that nobody can see the truth in your life. And then saying, I'm not going to worship God and I'm not going to give God thanks. And because eternity is in your heart, because God has put it there, the Bible says that you will find other things to worship instead. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Who knows? There's a void in our heart that we all try to fill with different things. And when we're not giving thanks and worshiping God, we fill that void with something else. And the Bible says they became foolish and their minds became darkened. Sin makes you stupid. We all laugh after the fact, don't we? After the fact, we're like, oh, yeah, sin makes you stupid. But in the moment, you're like, this is the best thing ever. This makes such sense to me. This is perfect. Sin makes you stupid. When you choose to turn your back on God and you choose to not worship him and not give him thanks, your mind becomes darkened. You find other things to begin to worship and to serve. And they're things that are created. They're natural things. They're not God. They're not godly things. They're things of this world. And as you do that, you get darker and darker and darker. And you become useless eventually. So here's what I want to do. Stand up with me. I would like for you to read the rest of this chapter on your own. And notice the progression of sin that takes place. When you study the word of God. You don't just read it to get through it. You ask questions as you read it. You say, how did these people get to this place? Why does their life look like this? What is God talking about? What is the author talking about? And I want you to read the rest of this chapter on your own this week. And I want you to see the progression of sin in their life. It makes a really great comment. It says something like this. It says, talks about the sin in their lives. And in, in all the sin it's listing, one of the things is, is they disobey their parents. And you're like, man, that's weird. He's talking about adultery and murderer and backstabbers and all these crazy things. And then disobedience to parents is listed. Wow. And the point that that's listed is because in this time, in this age, in this world, obedience to parents, the father had ultimate authority over life and death in the family's life over the children's life. But these people had gotten so deprived, so wayward in their sin, had so walked away from the things of God that it didn't matter who told them what. Paul's saying, it doesn't even matter. They're not even listening to God. They're not even listening to their parents anymore. They're natural parents. They're just doing whatever they want. Here's what I want to do together. I want to take a moment to worship God and give him thanks. Well, pastor, I don't have anything to give thanks to God for. Well, I bet that ain't true. I bet if you take a moment 
and think about what God's done in your life or what God's doing in your life, you'll find something to thank God for. Well, preacher, I don't got anything to worship Jesus for. You don't got anything to worship the Lord for? He sent his son to die on the cross for you and me so that you don't have to live a life defeated. He calls you son and daughter. You are an inheritance with the kingdom. He's made you more than a conqueror. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and dwells on the inside of you. You don't got anything to thank the Lord for, to worship the Lord for. You got everything to worship God for. You've got everything to give God thanks for. Jesus. And if you're in a place, I want to tell you this, if you're in a place and you're like, I don't got nothing to thank God for, then I would caution you because your mind, it seems, would be becoming dark and dim and you need to get back to a place where your mind and your thoughts and your thankfulness is pointing to Jesus so that you don't get too far down the road and become useless to Him. I got a thankfulness journal that I keep. And I try and write down every day three things that I'm thankful for. And it's a weird little practice, but it's a practice that keeps me aware of things to be thankful for in my life. Things that God has done for me, things that God is doing in me, things that God has done with me, so that when I have to give thanks to God, I've got things that my mind is trained to be thankful. say this real quick too before we take a minute and thank God Hebrews says that faith is calling those things that are not as though they were and you've heard us say this a lot lately that prayer asks but thanksgiving receives So there's times in your life where you've asked God for something, but you haven't seen the answer of what you're asking him for yet, right? So in those moments, in those times, what you've gotta do is lift those hands up, lift your heavy hearts up and begin to thank God for working in a situation that you haven't seen the answer to yet, but that you know he is far beyond you, that he knows far better than you, that his mind is always on you and he's always thinking and you lift your hands up and you just begin to say, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're at work in my life. I can't see it working. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know how it's gonna happen. Right now in the natural, it looks next to darn near impossible, but I know that you're at work, and I'm going to give you thanks for all you're doing. I thank you, Jesus, for your name that is above every other name. So I thank you, Father, that your name is above depression. I thank you, Jesus, that your name is above heartache and confusion and despair. I thank you, Jesus, that you are restoring marriages, that you're repairing bodies, that you're working in my mind. I thank you, Jesus. It don't look like it, but I thank you, Jesus that you were at work. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.